Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV, for the 28th of September 2020. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Senior Property Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how are you, mate? Did the weather bomb hit you down south? <laughs> Not too bad, actually. We had, a, we had a pretty sharp wind change just before and a bit of hail, but nah, the, the whole thing's... The whole thing's been over-exaggerated as far as Christchurch is concerned. So far, who knows what's still to come. But, yeah, we've done all right weather-wise lately. It was pretty nice over the weekend, got some uh, got some good sunshine. And, yeah, that's about all I've got to report, really. She was a pretty pretty home-based weekend. So um, so that was good. You know, I'm, I'm starting to uh, need a bit of sleep as we get towards the end of the year, I suppose. So so nice to have a quiet one. And, and yeah, back into work this week. How about nice. you? Yeah, yeah, we're... Pretty cruisy too. I was away for work on uh, Thursday, Friday. So, you know, once back, obviously trying to spend some time with the family. And yeah, the weather actually wasn't too bad here. The bit of rain, I think, late in the evenings, last couple of nights. But today, reading all these headlines about snow down south and massive winds up north. And in Wellington, it's like blue skies. The wind's picked up now, but actually feels okay, which is strange seeing those alerts pop up and you look outside and go, I think we're okay. But, um, you know, it's not very often that Wellington gets to say that. So we'll, we'll soak it up while we can. But yeah, otherwise in the weekend, mate, just enjoying a bit of the rugby. Like I've mentioned before, you know, the, the 1 of 10 Cup, the NPC, um, you know, still the best competition, I reckon. Great to see the Shield change hands once again. And my Tanifa won again. And, um, you know, now looking ahead to see if the Tanifa can get a challenge. And I think the only way is if, if counties beat Otago, then we won't get a challenge. Otherwise, we'll get a challenge from Otago or Hawke's Bay, if Hawke's Bay beat Otago. So... That's uh, that's what I'm hoping for now, mate. We get a chance at the logger wood, which we haven't had for a very long time. So that, that's the hope for me. Yeah, awesome. I like it when the shield goes around the place, you know, especially, uh, you know, gets outside the real main unions, gets into Northland or, or Hawke's Bay. You know, um, I mean, Hawke's Bay's got a pretty proud shield tradition, but um, yeah, cool if it can go around some of those places. Be cool if it would get into um, some of the Heartland teams, but uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but who knows? So, um, no, I like it. Spread it around. Maybe if uh, Northland or Southland or someone won it and then they have to put it up at the start of next season and they could actually lose to one of those Heartland teams, you never know. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to see the big the big boys losing to those little ones. Yeah, they said Canterbury. 80. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, cool, mate. All right, well, let's, let's kick into the um, pod for this week then. Um, actually, one thing I realised after the podcast last week, we didn't even cover the early market indicators um, so better make sure we pick up on the, you know, what's happened last couple of weeks from, from that report that we produce. And you know, when we're talking about the early market indicators here, it's the CMAs, the appraisals generated by agents, which is that pre-listing indicator, as well as the valuations run by the banks, which is a good measure of demand for people going in to get a mortgage. So for the CMAs, the appraisals by agents, we did see a bit of catch-up near the end of level two and a half, I reckon, as people were coming out of that gearing up maybe to list their property once they drop down to level two in Auckland and in the rest of the country obviously dropping further down to level one. We did see a bit of a, a spike back in the numbers and maybe making up for the drop that we saw at the start of that those level of social restrictions. Um, they have since tailed off though. In the last week we've seen them drop away a little bit, maybe just showing that that bump was a little bit artificial, uh, but now hanging at a pretty decent level, pretty comparable to you know a couple of months ago and even near the start of the year. So I think relatively good signs for new listings coming to market. Um, 
But, you know, we know that we're still at all-time low listings levels. We have seen new listings come back pretty well in the last week or two, but certainly not not enough to really lift the overall supply situation. Um, have you had a look at those recent the recent listings information lately? Yeah, yeah. So, as you say, they've just started to go through their spring upturn. Um, but probably what we've seen from that dip, that previous dip in appraisals during the move up the alert levels is I guess that, that spring bounce has been at worst delayed um, so and, and potentially could be smaller than it has been. So certainly been delayed and, and could be a bit smaller. So suggest you know that, that pressure on, on the supply of listings is, isn't going to go away anytime soon. Same trend in Auckland, you know, obviously affected more by the alert levels, but sort of the same thing has started at spring bounce, but is perhaps a bit later and um, a bit smaller. Same story on the rental side, actually, as well, that, that um, rental listings, that new weekly flow of listings uh, has, has started or has come back, you know, after the various lockdowns, but <clears throat> isn't crazy when you compare it to previous levels. So, um, you know, things are kind of ticking over, but we know we've, we've probably lost some listings from earlier in the year. Um, and that spring bounce has been delayed. So, yeah, overall message, don't expect any real massive respite on that listings front anytime soon, I'd say. Yeah. Ah, cool, mate. Yeah, kind of as you expected, I suppose. A little bit of a delay for the lift, but in general, things will get back to normal, and that certainly seems to be the case. And now it's about, you know, probably getting a strong run-in to the end of the year. Um, hopefully, as people continue to have confidence in the market, um, you know, people hopefully have confidence they can move to the next house. So we see those movers start to start to list their properties as well. And we do see, you know, total listings start to lift um, as we move towards Christmas before there was a couple of week hiatus and then hopefully bounce back even stronger in 2021 too, which is crazy to think we're not that far away from next year already um, into Q4, only a couple of days away. But there you go. Um, so otherwise, from a demand perspective, the valuation's being run through the banks. Again, it does look like there was some catch-up near the end of level two and a half uh, as, as they have tailed off once again, much similar to those, those appraisals being generated, but higher than before um, when that early, those early August restrictions came in. We're actually higher now than we were back then. So I'd say that's pretty seasonally typical as well. You typically see more people out there looking for property. Um, so that demand is still holding up. And the key, I suppose, is to watch where to from here. But really, there's no signs to say we're not going to continue to see demand hold pretty firm, taking advantage of low interest rates. As we've you know, been saying in quite a number of different areas, that's the one of the key central um, indicators or central reasons that we're seeing such strong demand that you know money is just so cheap, of course. Um, and I think that's going to, you know, the outlook just continues to be um, be that way as well which probably leans us nicely into, you know, last week we obviously had the Reserve Bank with their newly named monetary policy review. So every six weeks, um, you know, they, they announced whether they're going to change the official cash rate. Every second of those was just an OCR review and then the monetary policy statement. Now they've changed it to the monetary policy review because it's not just about the OCR. I know that the headline figures, the headline decisions were pretty boring in general because they were pretty well forecast. But um, do you want to run through those high-level pieces of information as well as a few of those uh, more granular insights that you picked out when you were you know, checking out that announcement? Yeah, for sure, yeah. So as you say, the headline results were uh, hold, hold the official cash rate at 0.25% and, and keep that quantitative easing program at a maximum of $100 billion out to June 2022. So those things uh, were unchanged and also 
entirely as expected. So, I mean, people moved on from those pretty quickly. It's actually the real interest, as we talked about last week, was in the wording and uh, what they say and don't say and the way they say it. Um, and so it looks like now that really there's a pretty clear signal we're going to have a funding for lending program for sure and potentially by the end of the year. Um, possibly if you look at the timing of the announcements for the Reserve Bank, like you say, every six weeks, their only opportunity to announce it at one of those before the end of the year is November the 11th. So I think, um, you know, odds on that we'll have one by then or on that date. Um, so funding for lending, of course, meaning that the Reserve Bank will lend directly to the trading banks at or about the official cash rate. Um, so, you know, pretty cheap finance for the banks. And the idea is that they then lend that out into the real economy. You can you can tinker with um, penalties if they don't do that uh, or incentives for them to do that. So there's, there's, there's little things, little mechanisms that might be put in place. And so, yeah, that was that was really the key interest. And, and the thing is, I guess, in terms of the property market, it just... It's more support. It's it's more money that's going to get out there. The banks aren't going to be short of cash um, and cheap cash. So, um, you know, it looks like that's going to keep the supply of credit up and also at a cheap rate. Um, so that's um, that was the main message. And then, you know, the negative official cash rate still looks still looks on the cards. You know, maybe not this year, but, and, and there's some debate about the timing, whether it could be February next year or, or into sort of March, April. But... Either way, it's looking pretty likely, and, and of course, the uh, Monetary Policy Committee has, has instructed Reserve Bank staff to keep working on that and get the banks ready for it. So, um, yeah, it's all happening, and it all points one direction for the property market in terms of cheap finance and, and lots of it. Yeah, 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 that's a great summary. And on the negative OCR, it seemed to me they even mentioned that the banks could actually do it now. They mentioned something where the banks are actually enabled to do that. Obviously, not going to do it straight away. Um, as you say, it's probably not going to happen until next year. They were going to hold till, till March, I think it was. But certainly following that, the ability is there now. And so it's just whether or not they, they feel the need to go negative. Um, but all the foreshadowing they're doing seems that's very, very likely. So as you say, what does it mean? Low interest rates for longer. You know, I look at sort of, you know, some of the, um, you know, investor groups and, and forums and things like that. And, you know, everyone's advice is just, you know, if you're getting a mortgage now or rolling over, fix it for six months because it's likely in six months they'll be lower. And that's pretty common advice right now. Of course, we can't give advice like that. We're not qualified to, but that's pretty common around the, around the traps. So it's worth, um, you know, that's really just shows where people's heads are at. Take the lowest rate you can. Do it for a short period because in, a, in six months, a year's time, they're probably going to be lower and you can fix it at an even lower rate. So that really goes to show exactly how easy it is to get that money, how cheap it is, and how much that's going to you know continue to encourage demand. So, yep, good point. Um, also from Reserve Bank last week, lending stats came out. And I know that we, you know, because we track buy classification data and we released it a little bit before the lending stats come out, it pretty much foreshadows where those that data is going. Um, but I know that you wrote your weekly article on it. So what did you what did you sort of take from that? And sometimes it's more those granular breakdowns rather than just the high level, what did first home buyers borrow and things? What did you take out from from your write-up? Yeah, well, the the overall thing was I, I was amazed at the strength. You know, we we do a little uh, a little prediction in advance of what might what might happen, and and we're way short. Um, so it, it grew in annual terms by one point four billion dollars. So um, that's that's a, a massive annual jump, um, and that's compared back to a year ago. It's a period not affected by COVID or whatever. So you know, a pretty strong jump. Um, but yeah, underneath the figures, I guess interest only lending is is one aspect we can get inside. 
and two, and that seems to have stabilised in the last few months, sort of about a quarter of all lending. So um, that might seem like a lot, maybe, but if you go back three or four years, that was up at forty percent. So you're looking at this um, much more controlled environment in terms of interest-only lending. Um, the high LVR lending, so where people have a 20% deposit or less, um, that's pretty stable as well. That's running at about sort of 11 or 12% of total lending. So um, again, might seem high, depending on your perspective, but it's lower than those previous uh, speed limits that are now sort of temporarily on hold. So both that interest-only lending and, and that high LVR lending seem to be sort of under control, you know, the banks are still keeping a pretty tight lid on that sort of stuff. So that's good from a financial stability perspective. Pretty pretty hard if you're, you know, a potential borrower out there wanting to get in with a smaller deposit or perhaps look at interest only. But, yeah, I think it is good from that financial um, stability side of things. And also just ran a few stats in that note about just the structure of debt at the moment. And really quite interesting that more than half of lending, so 54% of the stock and mortgages, is currently fixed for less than of a year or less, um, so quite a lot of short-term fixes out there. And when you add in a 14 and 15 percent floating, you know you've got almost 70 percent of debt that's pretty that's going to be rolling over or or exposed to those really short-term rates over a six to 12 month horizon. So, yeah, there is a lot of debt out there that's fixed short or, or floating. Um, ordinarily, you might say, well, mm, that's mm, that might be a bit bit risky if interest rates were to rise but of course I mean at the moment that's just just so far away so you know as you referred to earlier it's as the advice is that people are giving not us but the financial advisors as uh, you know those short-term fixes are really attractive and in this environment they just they're almost risk-free you know you, you know that in six to twelve months at worst rates are going to be where they are now and probably lower so um, no surprises that people are, are fixing for those short periods of time um, so yeah, that's uh, that was pretty much the um, the takeout from it. I guess just a note on that on interest rates more generally. You know, you've got on the cheek for borrowing, but also means that term deposit rates are falling too. So um, pretty strong incentive for people to take any savings they've got out of the bank because it's not paying you much. And potentially, you know, one option we know they're doing is is looking at the property market where you know if you can get in at a, a decent yield, you might be looking at four or five percent or even more. So compares really well to, to those term deposits. And we know we can see that in our buyer classification figures that, that investors are getting in. So, um, yeah, lots going on around that financing side of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, one of the essential things we watch is, is Reserve Bank, you know, their data, their announcements, you know, Adrian Orr, what he's saying as well. So I think that's, that's a pretty core central area for us to continue watching um, because it does foreshadow a lot of where we're likely to go in the future. And I think, you know, the main the sort of buck stops with them almost at the moment. And so that's why when they're talking about, you know, yes, they know that they're going to increase asset prices by lowering interest rates, but it's one of those things. It's a, it's a necessary evil almost. Um, and so I think that just gives even more confidence to those people to continue buying property as well. I think the one thing in terms of where people are investing their money, I think we've also got to note that there has been a pretty strong increase in the last six months in people going to those, you know, direct stock market, investment options as well, the likes of Hatch and Sharesies. Um, that's certainly for the younger generation too who might see the deposit as that big stumbling block in the property market and they're trying their hand at something else as well. So there are still options out there which hopefully offer you good yield, 
Um, you know, a bit of interest as well. You can sort of pick and choose where you go. And if you are nice and broad in terms of what you invest in, then you also you know, spread out your coverage. So I think, you know, there are other options out there as well. But, you know, for, for many people, for many of the older generation, of course, property market continues to be top of mind and will continue to do so for a while too. So that's sort of, you know, a good, good, good thing to note, I think. From an uh, economic perspective, Calvin, um, I think we can run through a few things out the last week, um, credit card spend stats were out last week, probably more insightful from my perspective, and they kind of feed into each other with the New Zealand Activity Index, which is you know the faster view of economic activity and generally reflects GDP, but a little bit faster. Um, and I think we pretty clearly saw that impact of Auckland's tighter restrictions last month on, on those stats, but also Stats New Zealand reported filled jobs this morning um, as well. So I wonder if you wanted to run through the gist of, of those major economic releases. Yeah, for sure. The so the credit card stats yeah were were weaker. Not surprising. The the domestic the, the spending on domestically issued cards within New Zealand was was down year on year, having been up year on year previously. So, just goes to show the effect of of social restrictions and, and especially in Auckland, which is as we've talked about, sort of pushing forty percent of of national activity. So it's presumably about 40% of national spending as well. So so take out those transactions and, and credit card spending is going to fall. Um, but as you say, it relates in and into that NZ Activity Index, which is a bit broader and takes into account lots of things. It was down year on year as well. So it, it had grown 0.7% um, in June, year on year, and had grown 2.2% in July, but in August was down one4 So again, a pretty clear... Uh, flow through from from social restrictions into that into that broad measure of economic activity, and I guess it just goes to show. For me, it was sort of the vulnerability that we still have. It's it's very easy to get tied up in the, the positivity and everything, but you know, for a relative, it might not feel like it for Aucklanders, maybe, but for a relatively mild set of social restrictions this time round, certainly compared to April's lockdown, um, that you can have that pretty fast flow through to economic activity and, and that starts to fill the pinch again pretty quick. So yeah, that's, that's, you know, something that people have to keep in mind is that we're not, we're far from out of the woods yet. There's, there's um, a lot of this to go uh, and, and fill jobs. So that, yeah, they were out this morning, fill jobs again, sort of pretty positive message that on this measure, at least the labor markets now above where it was pre COVID. So actually the strength of, of jobs has come back pretty well. Um, and so all those losses we had in, March and April have been reversed, and we're now pretty much back to levels back in January. Um, so a pretty, pretty solid set of numbers, really. I think, yeah, not not unexpected, I guess, given we know what's been going on and the fact that we've had the wage subsidy. The, these figures relate to August, of course. Um, so I think with a lot of things, it's it's probably what happens next, and you know when we get uh, September's numbers at the end of August without such a strong effect from the wage subsidy in it, what will have happened? And I think, you know, it probably wouldn't be surprising if we see those weaken again next month. So, yeah, overall feeling from those numbers is, is no real surprises. Um, you know, that we've seen the effect of social restrictions. Some indicators good, um, but really we need to see what happens in another month's time. Yeah, I mean, that September New Zealand Activity Index, I think, as you say, given August was down, um, and September still had much of the same restrictions. I know that things dropped from level three to level two and a half in Auckland. Um, I'd still expect, as you say, that, that activity to be slightly weaker too, which is probably going to mean, you know, that GDP for Q3 might be 
you know, hovering around the zero percent, if you're going to have one month up, one month down, and one month there or thereabouts, um, would mean that there's going to be yet another quarter of GDP uh, struggling, maybe a little bit year on year. So we'll wait and see with that one, but um, certainly, you know, will be will be one that paints the overall picture of, yeah, we've recovered from Q2, but certainly, as you say, not out of the woods yet, and it's purely dependent on, you know, whether we're going to have any more restrictions come in the future as well, and, and how tight those restrictions will be. I suppose the hope's got to be that the more and more we do this, the better and better we get, the better, you know, prepared we are, making sure people are scanning their QR codes and all those things, that you can still do much more activity um, safely, rather than, you know, obviously April was very difficult, last month was better, and then um, in the future, hopefully, we can continue to do things. So, yeah, that's, I think, what we're looking out for there. But I think you're right. The, the main point is not out of the woods yet. Um, still a long way to go. And, and you know, we, we don't probably say it quite enough, but obviously, you know, the global impact of everywhere else still struggling. Lockdowns in Australia, you know, obviously, peak cases still going through some of the European countries and America and things. That still impacts our economy by... Our, our exporters not being able to do as much, much business as well. And that's still going to flow through to our economy for a long time, as well as those borders being closed. And while I saw, you know, was it yesterday, today, um, you know, talk of, you know, some states might be open in Australia to New Zealand, especially South Island, which doesn't make sense to me. Why is South Island any different to Wellington? Um, you know, Aucklanders can still travel to Christchurch, much like they can to Wellington. So there's some weird things going on there. But, um, you know, if that does open up, you know, maybe we do see some borders, but it's still going to be very restrictive, so it's not going to be anywhere near the amount of tourism coming in, um, or people will obviously be able to go and do their international trips too. So I still think you're right, long way to go. Um, but, yeah, so far, obviously, things have been relatively positive, but don't want to get too too hyped about it. All right, well, moving on then. Um, the other thing I saw, which came out last week, was um, a release from Ipsos, and it was on the New Zealand Issues Monitor, essentially assessing you know, what a, what a Kiwi's concerned about, which is quite interesting, obviously, in the lead-up to the election and maybe what the big parties or the, all the parties should be interested in and, and campaigning on. And the really interesting thing for us, of course, was that housing still remains a really high concern. I think previously it's you know hovers around number one. It's dropped down a little bit, but it's back up to number two most recently. So I just had a quick scan over that, and that was certainly one thing that was of interest, and and I think important for us, obviously because of our jobs. But you know we've been talking previously about we haven't really seen too much campaigning on what each of the major parties are going to do around housing, and maybe this is showing that you know they need to do more in this area. So that's sort of the headline thing I took out. Is there anything else? I know you had a quick scan over it as well. Yeah, same thing, really. Just like you say, where where housing ranks. But the interesting thing for me was was how we can see in our affordability measures, for example, which compare pretty well to Australia in terms of definitions, that sort of thing. We've gone for consistency there. So it, it actually, on those measures, housing is a little less affordable in Australia than it is here. Um, but housing for them ranked down in seventh or eighth or ninth sort of position. So just an interesting contrast that you, you would think housing would rank higher in terms of a concern for Australians, but it, it was low down. So maybe just goes to show the other issues they're facing around um, COVID and, and health and that sort of thing, which fingers crossed we don't have to face anytime soon. But um, yeah, interesting contrast. Yeah. yeah, I think that comparison to Aussie is always interesting. There's always many similarities. So when there is something that's a bit different, it's worth trying to understand how or why that might be. And I think you're right, it could be just that things haven't gone as well. There's more political uncertainty. And so there's more concern on other areas of society. So I think that sort of comes to comes to the forefront there. Um, otherwise, mate, 
had a pretty decent week for media coverage last week. What did, did you want to run us through the couple of areas that we featured? Yeah, Lewis, I was just thinking about that. A sort of a, a wee bit of a regional flavour last week. So there was a, a couple of stories on uh, property in, on the West Coast, uh, which we chatted about a little bit, and Nelson as well. So, yeah, a wee, wee bit of a regional flavour there. Uh, we also got a, a little piece in KPMG, their latest review of the banking sector. So that, that was cool. Um, you know, pretty high-profile publication, that high-quality publication. And so nice to feature in there. And interest.co.nz, just looking at the Brightline test extension and whether you know, that's, that's discernibly made any changes to the way investors are behaving. So, yeah, some nice coverage and, and yeah, good to get it. Yeah, great. Yeah, worthwhile checking out, I think, a couple of those ones, especially the interest.co.nz one, um, you know, just looking at how many people are selling property at short term or longer term and how that's changed throughout the different modifications of the Brightline test. So, yeah, worth checking that one out. I'll check a link in the, uh, the show notes, actually. And then um, otherwise, we'll just look ahead to what's coming up. Um, we do have the CoreLogic House Price Index being released on Thursday. Um, so we'll get that data shortly and I'll start writing up our release on that one, expecting things to remain relatively strong, really. Um, August building consents coming out this week as well, as well as the confidence surveys from ANZ, both consumer and business. So certainly worthwhile watching out for those ones and, and checking out the headlines on that. But we'll, um, we'll wrap things up anyway. I don't have too much time to, to go into the detail, but keep an eye out for that and we'll talk about those those results next week anyway. Anything else you want to uh, to chat about today before we close out, mate? Oh, I suppose just a bit of an overall summary, you know, I think it kind of feels like the the latest, the flow of data over the last week has still been sort of pretty uh, supportive for the property market. Um, so that's the kind of general tone. But just that that lingering risk of the economy, and we know that NZ Activity Index faltered in, in August, could be sort of sluggish again in September. So that's the, we can't ignore that and talk about it all the time. The big picture is, is, is still, there's still risks out there. So short term, you know, property's well supported, but, but keep an eye on those risks. Yeah. Yeah, no, good call. I think it's always worthwhile bringing it back to that and going, what does it all mean? Heaps of information out there. Let's always come back to our, our main position and, and I think that's a good summary there. So thanks for that, mate. As always, thanks for your time and thank you for listening. Please do subscribe, rate and review us. Um, really nice to, to hear and see some of those comments. Get in touch with us as well. Um, we're available on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'll email my address as well. Leave those details within your play if you just check out the show notes there. Otherwise, my name's Nick. He is Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Matiwa.